Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, episode number nine. Today, I have a special guest with me, Rosemary Clark, who is from Love the Way You Parent. And we're going to be talking today about parenting and the overwhelming emotions of motherhood. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Rose first. So after a difficult childhood, she knew that she wanted to parent differently than her parents had. And she wanted to treat her children like separate individuals with their own thoughts, opinions, and emotions. And she wanted them to feel emotionally attached to their parents. All important ideas, but when she actually became a mom, she realized she had the ideas but not the abilities. She needed tools and didn't even know the right tools existed. Then she found language of listening, which is a groundbreaking needs-based parenting model that also has the ability to fill in the voids left from the parent's childhood. It consists of three simple tools and four very helpful premises to get your brain, your heart, and your words all working together to listen, to guide, and to love. Now, as an authorized language of listening coach, she works with mums, teaching them the model and getting them to a place where they can truly love the way they parent. So welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Rose. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you on because I'm very interested to learn more about the language of listening because everything that you've been saying to me so far really seems to align with how I like to parent with the attachment gentle parenting style. And so since I've got you onto this podcast, let's talk a bit about what does mental health and well-being mean to you? Yeah, so I would say hmm, for me, there's probably two things that I would focus on when it comes to mental health and well-being. One would be a connection to what we call in language of listening, your inner greatness. Um, So really knowing that you have immeasurable value and worth, really being connected to and believing, you know, in, in in that truth. And then also being free to choose, like free to choose your behavior and your actions, not stuck in out of control reactions that you probably don't like. And that probably means, you know, having um, uncovered and removed certain survival mechanisms from your childhood or from any trauma that you've experienced. So again, just having that real freedom to choose. I really like that you say that because I do feel like often people don't realize or they can forget that everything is a choice. And even if we are struggling with our mental health, we can still make certain choices to help us be in the right direction. And especially when it comes to parenting, um, if things are hard or if we're struggling or if something's not quite right, there are definitely other ways to do things. We just need to go looking really. I mean, I think a mental health concern that I have is, is ACEs, um, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, and I think in many circles, this is not really a well-known term, but it's something that's being talked about more and more in our society. Uh, ACEs are things that affect both physical and mental health, and they affect about two-thirds of the population. Now, what ACEs are, are um, you know, they're just basically experiences in childhood that uh, really affect the child and or have the, the capability of really affecting them. Um, and so it can be anything from, you know, losing a parent to death or divorce. Um, it can be, uh, having a family member end up in jail. It can be living in environment, growing up in environment, home environment that is, um, kind of 
neglectful emotionally or if you're being bullied um, you know mentally or physically which includes like shoving and spanking all those things have been proven to have a, a, a very strong effect on our our mental and our physical health as children but especially as you grow up you know as you get older um, there are survival mechanisms that happen you know the, the, the brain goes into pretty consistent fight or flight as a result of ACEs. And so people's brains can kind of get stuck there or they can be functioning, you know, more in that, that state of fearfulness. And that can really, for sure, affect your, your mental health and your physical health. What sticks out to me is the fact that I suffered depression in university as a result of my ACEs. Um, and I have since worked hard to regain my myself. I feel like I really lost myself. My ACEs were mainly the result of being raised by parents who both had personality disorders. And so uh, mental illness in the parents is, is also um, one of the ACEs. There are 10 categories, by the way. So I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, I barely knew that I really even had a difficult childhood, you know, and I, I, I burned out at work in my early 30s and I ended up in a therapist's office. And um, we chatted and uh, after chatting, she, she just said to me, she said, okay, so your mom has borderline personality disorder. And she wasn't sure about my dad, but she felt that both my parents had a pretty severe personality disorders and I cannot diagnose. I am a parenting coach. I am not a <clears throat> somebody that can diagnose mental illness, but I, I suspect that my dad also has narcissism as well because borderline personality really is kind of the female side of, of narcissism. Well, I think, you know, that that was the first step for me was, you know, going for counseling. That was the first time I ever had counseling in my life. Um, I think, well, that was the first step is getting professional help, I guess, previous to that. Um, I was newly married at the time. And I think that was one of the most important things that I've done for my mental health was really to make sure that for this, that's the second half of my life, you know, that I had a safe and loving family to live in. The, the family that I had had been in for, you know, 30, 30 years, um, just never felt safe or very loving, unfortunately. Um, and um, so I was very careful about the kind of man that I married. Uh, he was actually my best friend. And, um, and then the other thing that's just been so incredibly helpful for me is this model, the language of listening. Um, it started as a parenting model, but I really feel like the, um, the founder of language of listening, Sandy Blacker, I think she just really cracked the code on what it is to be a human being. And you mentioned in the, at the beginning, you know, that it's a needs-based model and it really does teach us um, how to, well, it's taught me, um, you know, how to get connected to my inner greatness, you know, to really um, understand that I do have value and worth to really get to a place where like, uh, like I've had these, you know, mental and, and really heart breakthroughs where I'm like, oh my goodness, like I, I figured out how like believing that I wasn't good enough was actually one of my survival mechanisms from growing up in this, in this environment, you know, and so I've been able to set that aside and say, okay, that was a survival mechanism. I see how it shows up in my life and I don't need that anymore. And those things have, you know, really freed me up to be free, to make choices in my life. Um, and, um, you know, other language of listening tools or, or just a Continuing to use it has helped dissolve codependency in my life. Uh, it's allowed me to, to lay out new mental pathways, which again has allowed me to shed those survival mechanisms from my childhood. And it's really taught me that putting my needs first actually gets everyone's needs met in my little family. And I just love that. Like I feel so free to show up um, in this new family that I have, which is this you know new safe and loving environment for me to live out the rest of my life in. That's so wonderful. I really love the way you talk about it because I can tell how important language of listening is to you and what a significant impact it has had on your life. And I can tell you genuinely want to keep sharing this with everyone. And so I know that this has been such a great support 
for you with your own mental health journey um, and a great tool that you use. So would you be able to tell us a bit more about how the model works? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the model is really based on the belief that all children are great and, and really that all people are great. And um, maybe I'll just talk through the three, the first three premises and then the tools that go with it, just to kind of give people an idea of, of um, what it is. So the first premise says that um, everything children do and say is a communication and they must continue to communicate until they are understood. And, um, you know, you can really, I think, you know, see that in a child who, you know, just continues to say the same thing over and over again, or if you see the same behavior over and over again, this is what a lot of parents see is, and I think they get tired of, you know, is the same behavior over and over again. And it's just because the child is trying to communicate something, you know, the best way that they can, they act things out, right? And um, so, and this is one of the things that language of listening helps with, it really helps to get behaviors handled. So the kids start managing their own behavior. And so the parent isn't revisiting the same issue over and over again. And the first tool um, of language of listening that goes with that premise is called say what you see. And you use it to connect with the child and you literally reflect back to them like a mirror with no judgments or thoughts, anything that you see them saying, doing, thinking or feeling. Uh, again, just to make sure that they're feeling understood the parent walks around kind of inside the child's world and uh, gets connected with them in that moment. And then the next step is, um, you know, typically, typically we, um, you know, what we want to do is give guidance to the child. And so usually the, you know, sometimes we're seeing behavior we like, so we go to the second tool, but I'm going to talk about the third tool first, just because this is usually what happens. So you connect with the child, you see a behavior that you don't like, you connect with the child using say what you see. Then the second premise is, um, all children have every possible inner strength and children act according to who they believe they are. Oh, here I've jumped to the second premise. Okay, we'll just stick with that one. <laughs> the children act according to who they believe they are. And um, so, and, and even though this is the second premise and the second tool is strength. So strengths, you know, I think a lot of what we see in society today is we're really trying to build up our kids' self-esteem. We're really trying to help our kids believe in themselves. And so we use a lot of praise. And the trouble with praise is, is it, it puts everything on really it's everything based on the parent's opinion and the parent liking the child's behavior when really what we want to do is ground our children in themselves this is getting them connected to their inner greatness which i've spoken of um and uh, what we do is we make it all about them so um we we you say what you see and then we say the the strength that we see and so it might sound something like um you know, well, the first time I started, I started using strengths, I did it with my three-year-old and I said, you brought me a butter knife when I asked, because that's exactly what she had done. And then I said, that shows that, um, uh, that, that shows that you're a good helper. And she grabbed onto that. She loved it. So that strength is really good because, or using that tool is really good because it starts to lay out literal mental pathways in the child. And she's six now, and she still knows that she's a really good helper. Um, because I continued to like, you know, tell her about that strength in her life or point it out to her. And she'll hop up now and, and um, she notices what people need before they even ask half the time. And she'll hop up and get things for people. And she just loves that she's a little helper, you know. Um, so that's fantastic. And the main time that we use that tool is actually after the third tool. So the third premise uh, of language of listening is, let's, I feel, I'm feeling tested right now. Let's see if I can remember it off the top of my head. Um, yeah, all behavior is driven by three healthy needs, experience, connection, and power, and everything kids are doing is already meeting their needs. So what that tells us is, first off, it breaks down, you know, kind of Maslow's needs into three, um, into three easy categories for parents to remember. Um, uh, but it's also saying that all, 
all behaviors meeting healthy needs. Now we know all behavior isn't healthy, all behavior isn't behavior that parents like, but we can always trust in the goodness of the child in that moment, you know, because like it's just a legitimate need they're trying to meet. And then what we can do is redirect them to help them to meet that need in a way that we like, in a way that's going to be like socially beneficial for them, you know? And so, um, you know, the model altogether kind of goes like this. You say what you see. And then, um, and, and in the midst of that, you're going to note what the child wants. It's really important to note what they want. And then you um, state your boundary objectively. I'll give you an example in a minute. Um, and then you say a can do. So the can do is the name of that third tool where you just kind of turn the problem solving over to the child. So the say what you see lets them know that how they feel is okay. And then whenever we know that how we're feeling is okay somehow as human beings whatever we know that how we feel is okay that's when we can move into problem solving and so then we move with the child into problem solving and then at the end we use a strength so that next time they go to next time they come up against that life challenge you know what the thought that comes into their head is that um you know something that that just allows them to know that they can meet that challenge head on on their own. So I'll give you an example because I've, I've been talking a lot technical things. And I'll, I'll give you examples. So we have a rule in our house about Sharpie markers because I have a lot of Sharpie on my furniture and I, I'm, I don't really like that. <laughs> there's a behavior I don't like, right? And uh, so there's the rule in our house is that um, if a child finds a Sharpie marker that they bring it to a parent. And so my daughter was looking behind a cabinet in our kitchen and she found a Sharpie marker back there. And what she did is she started to hand it to me and in language of listening, we, we know when the child is trying, we, you know, we see, we know when they're trying to be obedient, like partial obedience is not also, also partial disobedience. It's the child trying. So I did say what you see. And I said, Oh, you found a marker and you started giving it to me. And, uh, and I said, and, and so that stating that she was starting to give it to me showed that, you know, that she already knew what the rule was. And I said, that shows that, you know, how to follow the rules. So I didn't need to say the boundary in that moment. Um, and she handed the marker right over in that moment, even though she pulled it back and had held it against her chest. When I noted that um, she knew how to follow the rules, I noted that strength. Um, she handed it right over with a big smile on her face. And she's always given me a marker ever since then, because now when she comes up against that life challenge, which is really wanting to use the marker for whatever she wants to use it for, you know, what pops into her head, the mental pathway is there is that she knows how to follow the rules. And so she brings the marker to me. I love that so much. And I'm just having such a big smile over here listening to you talk Aww. about this because it's such a wonderfully simple but amazingly effective way to sort of like diffuse moments that could escalate and just really respect our children and create that positive and loving environment and it's just such a simple method but you're right it's making all these significant uh neuron connections and all this other stuff is happening in the background that we don't even see happening, but it's so important. You're basically just narrating their inner voice, their inner self and making it a positive one at that. And I love it. It's so interesting. Yeah. It yeah. really reminds me of attachment and gentle parenting. Like I love that it fully aligns because we talk a lot about meeting a child's needs and um, we talk about connection over correction and, like the first step in that is basically to name their emotions and how they're feeling. Um, and it's, yeah, all these things just go really well hand in hand to be raising these wonderful human beings. So, so let's say your child hits their younger sibling. 
Let's, let's try that one because this is one that parents experience a lot, right? And so what you would do in that moment is you would say what you see, again, with no thoughts or judgments, like you're really mad right now um, and you hit your brother. And then you state the boundary, which is people aren't for hitting. And then you say, um, you know, you, again, you know, you're really mad or whatever, but must be something you can do. Just so again, we turn the, you know, you really want the toy, we'll say, let's say that that's their one. You really want that toy. You're really mad at your brother. Must be something you can do to get the mad out and make sure nobody gets hurt. And, you know, so the child can say, well, you know, I'll, I'll hit him, I'll hit him on the leg instead, or I'll, you know, maybe they'll think of other things or I'll, I'll grab the toy from him. And so if it's, if the can do is not something that you're okay with and you say, well, no, you know, like, you know, toys aren't for grabbing, people aren't for hitting, you know, you just, I'm not okay with that. Let's try again. And if the child can't come up with something that, that, you know, is going to still meet their need um, and um, uh, that you like, you know, as the parent, because this is you holding your boundaries. That's what I love about language of listening. It really allows you to hold your boundaries. And, um, then you can give them suggestions like you could stomp on the floor when you're mad. That's a way to, to you know, be mad and, and get the mad out and, and not let anybody get hurt. Or you could punch a pillow or you could, you know, go kick the tree or, you know, give them something to do and, and they'll, they'll pick one that they like, or maybe that will inspire them to come up with something. And then that's when you bring the strengths back in and you go, see, you know, you, you knew exactly what you needed to get the mad out and make sure nobody gets hurt. And so that's what starts popping into their mind. You know, the next time they're mad is that people aren't for hitting, you know, which is a really important one. And um, you know how to get them mad out without anybody getting hurt. That's so great. And it's teaching them how to let out that anger in a healthy way, because often people just expect children and adults to suppress emotions. And then, you know, we're surprised when we have these angry adults that lash out <laughs> because emotions and feelings are physical. It's not all in our head or in our heart with some feelings you have to physically let out. Like when you're sad, you cry or in cases like this, when you're angry, sometimes you do need to stomp your feet or shake your arms around or whatever it may be. And obviously for children when they're younger and they're generally more kinesthetic learners and they have a lot more sensory processing needs than we do as adults, doing something like this is such a useful tool where you're directing all of that in a healthy way and it's still benefiting them as well because they're learning to regulate their emotions and understand what this emotion feels like because you've named it, you've talked about it, you're there with them. So you're co-regulating and it's all there in just this one simple little example. It's great. Yeah. They're new to the world, right? They're totally new. Like one, one thing that I noticed myself doing with my kids is just thinking they should know how to do things already or thinking they should understand. And it's like, well, no, they're only five years old or they're only seven years old, right? Like they're so new and they really need us to come alongside them and coach them really. You're so right. We often forget how young they are. And I've found myself stating our kids' ages more because it sort of snaps our attention back to reality. Like I'll say, she's only four because his, my husband might say something like, I've told her this. And I'm like, yeah, but she's four. <laughs> like she yes. is not actually capable of understanding yes. what you just said. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard. You. <laughs> you need so much patience and so much understanding in parenting. So it's really good to have like these handy little tools in your pockets to pull out when you need them. Yes. Yeah. No matter how you're feeling, no matter how your day's going. I mean, you, you just, you say what you see, that's where you start. And it's, and it's, it's just, it's, it's right in front of you. It's just so easy.
I feel like you've given my audience so much today, but before we finish up the podcast, do you have one last piece of advice or tips uh, relevant to mental health and well-being to share? Sure. Well, what I would love to share, because we, we said that the topic was the overwhelming emotions of motherhood. So let's talk about those just a little bit and, um, and you know, what we kind of do in, in language of listening with those. So the beautiful thing about language of listening is that it does double as a personal growth model. And um, so you can use the same tools with yourself. Like I'm teaching moms all the time how to use say what you see for you. So let's say that you're, you know, you're about to blow your stack. You're really, really angry at your child. You know, if you can squirrel yourself away, you know, get into the bathroom and start validating yourself and connecting with yourself. You're so mad right now. And literally use the word you, you know, use, talk to yourself in the second person. You're so mad right now. You can't believe you won't put his shoes on. It's time to go. And you, you know, you can't handle it and you just want to blow your stack and, but you don't want to yell at your kids anymore. And you know, whatever comes up for you, um, you can do that. And, and like I said earlier, um, you know, when, when it's okay for us to feel how we feel, cause I mean, we get mixed up in our emotions, right? Like I think sometimes we start to feel like our emotions are who we are, that they're our identity and they're not, they're just messages about who we are. And, um, it's really important for us to listen to the messages and we listen to the messages by using, say what you see by connecting. And what happens is, you know, this beautiful thing happens when you do say what you see for you is more information starts coming out. Um, you know, out of your heart and out of your mind to give you more information about like why you're reacting that way and what's going on. And again, once it's okay for you to feel how you feel, you become not the problem anymore. Because again, we make ourselves the problem when we don't like how we feel. This is our kind of our uh, survival mechanism from childhood usually, you know, and then when, when, um, when we're not the problem anymore, the real problem bubbles up and we can affirm to ourselves what we want. Like you really want him to put his shoes on. You want him to do it the first time you ask. And, um, and that, you know, kind of tells you like, well, again, we talked about our kids being young. It's time for me to have boundaries around them putting their shoes on the first time I ask. And I need to train them and coach them and teach them, you know, how to, how to do that. And, um, and you can do this with any, any emotion. I mean, I went through a time, you know, a couple of years ago where I had, um, you know, they wanted to do more tests on two completely unrelated different kinds of cancer. And I was freaking out. It was bringing all kinds of anxiety up. And I already have anxiety from, from my childhood. And I woke up in the middle of the night, completely freaked out and heart pounding, you know, just, you know, pulled right out of sleep um, in, in a full blown panic attack. And, um, and I just remembered to do say what you see for you. And I just started saying like, you're really scared right now. Like you don't want to die. And then my heart started going like, oh, you're listening. Okay. I'm going to tell you some more things like, you know, and, and started bubbling up out of me. Like, and I started to realize like, oh, it's really good. You don't want to die. Like you want to stay alive. That means if you do have cancer, you know, you're going to fight for your life. It is so, it's so important to you. And, and cause really my biggest fear is that my children would not have a mother because that was kind of how I felt in my own childhood was that, you know, that I didn't really have a mom. And that really felt like the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. My heart is very sad and broken, you know, over the fact that, um, you know, mental illness, it kind of feels like it stole my mom from me. And um, so that's my biggest fear. So thank goodness, both of the cancer tests came back negative but one of them I had to wait six months for because there was a spot on my lung and they wanted oh to make my sure goodness growing six months <laughs> of waiting right, wow. right? Oh, uh, but thank goodness there I had these you know language of listening tools that helped me deal with my emotions and and you know in motherhood we have so many emotions that come up and um so using that tool that say what you see for you tool you know whether you do it in the mirror in the bathroom and sometimes sometimes you do have to get out the door and you don't have time to do it in the moment so you get your journal and you journal out say what you see for you and your heart's going to give you more information and you'll find the same thing happens with your kids too when you use the tool with them like if you just say like i hear crying 
you know, it's very simple, say what you see. And the child is probably either going to come over and get a hug and get their needs met in that moment, or they're going to tell you why they're sad. You know, it, it, there's nothing complicated about it. It's just when a child feels understood or when they see that you're trying to understand them, they're going to give you more information and that's going to help you problem solve with them to get their needs met in a way that you both like. I love that so much. And I have a, a monthly membership called Gentle Motherhood where we, uh, I support mothers on their healing journey. And this is similar to what we talk about because I think it took me until basically recently to realize that I was relying on other people around me, whether that was my husband or my sister or my therapist to almost not do the work for me, but to, I thought everyone else played a critical role in helping me on my own mental health journey. And I love how you're saying that the language of listening relates to us and we can use it on ourselves because we have a lot more power than we give ourselves credit for. And this is something that we can use in those everyday, almost little moments, but that can build up to something bigger if we don't, you know, deal with it. Because I know for a while I was getting quite triggered and getting angry because uh, of the kids not listening, you know, like, of course, kids don't always listen. But then (laughs) once I started doing similar to what you're talking about, about listening to myself and recognizing how I was feeling and dug a bit deeper, it was, it was unraveling all that suppressed, you know, um, aces as you're talking about it from my childhood of not feeling heard for uh, numerous reasons in my own circumstances that that happened to me as a child. And so then once I started recognizing that, then I was almost able to laugh at myself because I'm realizing, yes, your child is four. Of course, she's not always going to listen to you, um, that you're just being triggered by this and that. It's okay to feel angry. Like you need to, yeah. And then it helps you know what you need to work on to heal yourself. And what's funny is that, but then I was listening to myself. So even just the act of that was fulfilling Mm -hmm. that unmet need that I had. And it really changed so much for me, like in my own thinking. And then of course in my actions and then in my parenting, because we can do this work ourselves. A hundred percent. And it's so neat because it, you know, I'll bring that back to the first premise of language of listening. And when I said it the first time I said everything children do and say is communication, but the truth is everything everybody does and says is communication and we must all continue to communicate until we're understood and your heart really, you know, your heart really wants to be understood and and it wants you to show up um, the fullest expression of yourself in the world. And that it happens. Our heart is always working for that. And so there, there you were, right? Like listening and listening to yourself and and yeah, figuring out what you needed. And part of it was just listening. (laughs) It's amazing. promotional offers at the moment for your business? Yeah. So uh, I offer free 45 minute consult calls. I call them connection calls. And those are for anyone wanting to explore kind of working with me uh, one-to-one. I I offer a 12 week program uh, for moms where I teach them the art of language of listening. And then also we work through those survival mechanisms from childhood and we lay out new mental pathways. Language of listening works so well for that because it does give you new thoughts to think about children and about yourself and how children work and how human beings work. Um, But then we also need those tools. You know, the new thoughts are great, but we actually need those, those to be laid out as mental pathways. So as we use the tools 
um, you, you know, that mental pathways become stronger and stronger and they start to overtake kind of the old mental pathways um, that are in our brain. And so we, we do that work to kind of change all those things. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what I offer right now is those free 45 minute consult calls and, and people are, you know, experiencing, you know, a certain amount of um, transformation just from that, just from being listened to, right? And, um, and we get to talk about kind of what's blocking um, the mom from getting to the place where she can love the way she parents. Thank you so much, Rose, for coming on to the podcast today. I'm feeling so full at the moment of love and excitement of everything that you've shared. And I'll make sure to have all your links below for anyone that wants to check you out more. So you can find Rosemary Clark. Her business is Love the Way You Parent. Her website is afteraces.com. And she's also on social media like Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much again, Rose, for being a guest on the podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me, Crystal.